0: Welcome back everybody to this week's episode of Heavy Branches. We're so excited you've joined us here for the beginning of our new series. We're going to be covering some apologetic stuff. Um, And as you can see, we've got a couple guests on here today. Uh, This is Brian Schultz and Eric Clemens, two of me and Tanner's good friends. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, Brian, you can go ahead and start us off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and you in the ministry.
1: Okay. Um, Name's Brian Schultz. I'm the Preaching minister at Kent Christian Church in Madison, Indiana. Um, also an instructor at Louisville Bible College. That's where we met uh, these two fine fellows, uh, Jacob and Tanner. And I've had the privilege to uh, be in classes and also uh, teach and have them as students. Two fantastic uh, young men with a heart for the gospel. So uh, and very very knowledgeable. And so, uh, just a privilege to be
0: uh, joining you guys today. All right. Well, thank you for we're coming on. We're really grateful for it. Eric, introduce yourself to us a little bit. All
2: right. Well, my name Eric Lemons, and I am the youth minister at Kent Christian Church. Been here for about going on like six years. I also attended Louisville Bible College, really enjoyed my time there. I also am one of the writers for the Restoration Herald for the Millennial Moment, and I love to study apologetics. I'm glad that you guys are having me. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, that's a big reason we asked you guys to come on. Uh, you know, as I said, we're, we're good friends together, but I know both of you are very passionate about apologetics and very well studied in it. So as we begin to cover this subject over the next handful of weeks, that's a big reason why we wanted to ask you guys to come on is because of that, you know, you're real passionate about apologetics and very well studied in it too. So thanks again for, for coming on guys.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, we had a origins class back in the beginning of December of last year. And, um, the first few hours was just on the existence of God and it was, amazing (laughs) to sit in there on that and uh so i knew that when it came time to do a podcast like this that we'd be talking to you too because um brian talked a lot about eric in the in the class even knowing the what he does brian was also able to present uh so much good to us um so i wanted to start with just discussing why these three topics of apologetics um, you know we're going through the existence of God the proof of the resurrection and then the last session will be how can we trust the Bible and the main reason for choosing those three above you know any other apologetics discussion is these three topics often become essential in sharing the gospel Um, other apologetics discussions are important um, but for the purpose of sharing the gospel with someone they are less often needed Um, and so these deal with essential truths that are necessary for one to believe in the gospel and you know we the whole point of the podcast is bearing fruit sharing the gospel is an essential part of that it's an essential part of the Christian life. And these are things that we need to be prepared to answer for people when, when the questions arise. So as we begin you know, with the actual discussion of the existence of God, I just wanted to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, I mean, many of you have heard this, <laughs> um, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so I guess my starting question for Brian, for Eric, is the Bible, as we just see here and throughout the scripture, the Bible presents God in such a way as to assume his existence. Would you all agree with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Oh, yeah. So... Beyond that, are there any specific passages from the Bible that you find compelling in
1: supporting the existence of God? Hmm. Well, uh, when we uh, were considering this question, I mean, my mind immediately went to Genesis 1-1 because uh, if we're talking about about the Bible itself presupposing the existence of God, it's right from the get-go so um, in the beginning God uh, might be in the beginning God created might be the most important words in all the Bible Um, so it's right from the beginning and then everything that follows is the account of God's interaction with his creation in the plan of uh, redemption, and so to pick just one verse or passage that points to the existence of God, of course, my mind goes to John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Or you go to Colossians that talks about Christ. Everything was created through Him, and for Him, and by Him. And those passages, um, if you. you there's just so much uh, that speaks of uh, the role of the uh, the Trinity uh, from the beginning. You know, you have, uh, if you look at John 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 1, and then in verses 2, all, also from Genesis, it talks about the the spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. So we have the... The triune the the Trinity on display here so um, yeah the whole concept of presupposing God there's no way you can get outside of that from the scriptures I guess the real question is you know how how can we establish God's existence how do we how can we talk about it how can we understand it from a logical perspective
0: yeah, I like that way of looking at it, because especially if we're talking to people, you know, they're not believers, or they're not Christians. They're not going to really put too much weight on what the Bible says, uh, for the most part. And so something else I thought would be worth discussing here is uh, we-, we talked in class, um, and we've all four had discussions about this in the past, that about how faith connects with evidence mm-hmm. or reason, um, I believe it was the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. One of the, the definitions of faith that that dictionary gives is faith is a belief, a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. No and so that brings up the idea, you know, as Christians, how should we view faith and how should we view the way faith connects with proof or with reason? um,
2: I think that's a fantastic question. To go along with the idea of the first question, though, with um, verses, one of the verses that came to my mind right away was Psalm nineteen one. Yeah. When it um, when it says that the heaven declares the glory of God, the skies above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. I think that that is a good verse that also is just assuming God. It's not trying to make a defense for God, but it's making a proclamation because of God, you see these things, which is yeah. great. Um, to talk about faith and how that responds to the Christian, where I know Brian likes to teach that faith is twofold. It's belief that and belief in, and there you have to have reasons in order to have a belief that something, if it's gonna be coherent, if it's gonna make sense and be logical or rational, all those words you wanna describe it. But, and because of the belief that, first you have to have the belief that, but then you can put the belief in and put trust in and have faith that way. So, and that is all based off of evidence. If you're gonna have, rational trust in something and have true genuine trust that is all based off of evidence from experience or different forms that you see so faith for the christian is very very
1: important the um eric and i were blessed to attend i think this was two years ago florida bible conference dr johnny presley made a statement that we both wrote down simultaneously faith always begins with reasons to believe so the concept is what Eric's already talked about the belief that and belief in unfortunately within Christendom within even within the restoration movement Christian Church Church of Christ we have I think we have a misunderstanding of what faith is and uh, that I've seen that illustrated when I've been able to teach this is something that that I have, Um, really dug into and really been challenged by. And so the more that I got to thinking about it is we talk about, we talk about uh, this phrase that uh, seeing is believing. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. And so we have to ask ourselves if seeing is believing, then everyone who saw Jesus Christ would have believed, but uh, the majority did not. In fact, they uh, yeah. crucified him, and so the concept here is is um, we associate this concept of seeing or not seeing with faith or actual knowledge, and so what happens is is we discredit, to some extent, the nature of faith that it's somehow not in the way that it's understood of, of believing something only in the absence of sight. And so what happens is we end up with a little faulty definition. And so it pulls away from the evidential aspect. And so what I've really been challenged is this, is to change the way we talk about it. And the concept then becomes we come to faith in the exact same way that those uh, that we read about in the scriptures came to faith. The only difference is the type of evidence. And so God always presents evidence to everyone in all times. This is this is proven by what we would call general revelation. It's what Eric just uh, spoke about in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. Romans 1, uh, 18 and the following verses talks about that God's attributes can be known or seen through what has been made. So God has revealed himself in different forms and fashions throughout since the beginning of time. And so the question is, uh, so the dynamic has always been people have this set of evidence and, and then they choose to believe that evidence to, uh, to believe that God exists, to believe that God's word is true, to believe that Jesus is the Christ based upon the evidence and then to trust in it. Uh, because, uh, um, the scriptures can say, um, that you can understand who Jesus is. You can understand who God is. You can have mental assent, but if you're not willing to give over your will and trust to him, then it's not true biblical faith. So all this together, when we talk about faith, is the only difference between what happened with the apostles, what happened with Abraham, what happened with anybody in the scriptures that we look at is their set of evidence, Uh, they evaluate that to determine if indeed it's true uh, and then if they're going to put their faith and trust in it and so our set of evidence is different than that of the apostles they had first an interaction with Jesus but uh, we believe in their witness and their testimony and that's just as valid as their faith and so we don't think of it this way that, that that the apostles had faith because we're like, well, they saw him. Where we talk about Moses had faith. Well, he interacted personally with God. But that's how Hebrews chapter 11 talks about it, is that they had faith. And so I think what we need to make sure we're doing is to say that faith is based on evidence, and the only difference is the type of evidence, and then we have the ability to choose to trust in those facts, to trust in those truths. And that's when we have true faith in God. It's belief that and belief in.
0: Yeah. I I love that. It's, you know, that's good stuff. If, if our faith isn't grounded upon evidence and things that we can firmly believe, that's going to really impact how much we can genuinely trust in what we believe, whether it's our belief in God or belief in the resurrection as we talk about next week. And, um, so that that's really important for us to have that right definition of faith and that, that it always does begin with reasons to believe. I think yeah then,
1: I, I'm sorry, let me interject one thing here really quick. I think what we have a lot today in the evangelical world and in Christendom as a whole is a lot of belief in without much belief that. And so we have people that have that are expressing some sort of belief, but they're not grounded in anything. And so that's why we see people riding this roller coaster um, of, uh, understanding and whether or not God is real. Um, if you have a firm, that's the beauty of apologetics. Apologetics not only helps us to communicate the truth to others, but it brings a lot of, uh, concrete nature to our own faith. It helps us to establish it firmly. And so that's one of the, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, we don't need to, we don't need to worry about apologetics. Well, in our day and age, we—it's an absolute must because uh, we must equip ourselves with the ability to speak to anybody, uh, depending on what their worldview is. But also, it strengthens our own faith. For me personally, I was a person that had a lot of belief in without much belief that, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then once that dynamic changed, once I was exposed to uh, apologetic reasons and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, it changed everything for me. So, um, what we need to do is be able to help people to have, uh, a lot of good reasons so that belief that can be, um, strong. And if it is, then the belief in will only grow.
0: You know, I think a big problem a lot of churches have just from different people I've been able to talk to who are connected with different churches is, you know, when they're in their youth groups, the kids will go through high school and then they'll either go off to college or they'll, they'll move out of the home and go live on their own and enter the workforce. And either way, what happens a lot of the time is is they get disconnected from the church and disconnected from their what they believe. And I'm really convinced a big problem of that is that we we haven't done a good enough job teaching them the belief in. Um, And and just the belief that we haven't really given them enough reasons to believe. And it's just, well, we just believe this because mom and dad believe it. Or we just believe this simply because the Bible says so. And I don't want to discredit the Bible. Obviously, we can believe exactly what the Bible says. But when we pair that with, with other, you know, evidences we have that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, it really can help strengthen your faith.
2: Yeah, and I think that's important when it comes to, like, the kids and the youth, for them to develop their own personal faith, to make it real for them on a personal level, so that they're not dependent on, oh, well, my preacher believes this, my youth minister believes this, my parents believe this, my grandparents believe this. That way, they say, no, I, I'm strong in Christianity and strong in my faith because I believe this for this reason. And that reason and make it personal to them is really
0: important. And I even remember in my own life, you know, I I was one of those kids that grew up in the church since the day I was born really, but it was probably closer to my senior year in high school before I ever even really had my own faith because I hadn't studied that deep into the Bible or into anything with apologetics. And my faith was basically just, well, my family always goes to church. So I go to church, too, and I believe it because it's what I've always been taught. But when we really sit down and make our faith our own, um, and a big part of that can happen when you study apologetics, I think it really helps you to strengthen what you believe in. Oh, well,
1: so, absolutely, so, because here's what happens. And you guys have already illustrated this. You're moving from second half, secondhand faith to firsthand faith. And it's this concept of what we've done in the church is we tell people what and we don't tell them why. We just tell them what to believe, what to believe, what to believe. And so, but if we can help them place the puzzle pieces into the puzzle, you know, if they're able to connect (laughs) those dots themselves, it becomes real to them. If you connect the dots for them or hand them the puzzle completed, we've robbed them of the experience of, of, of coming to these conclusions in a way that it's real to them. And so that's a, that's what we've done a lot in a lot of our youth ministries. I'm thankful for Eric and the work he does because he teaches the why all the time. And if we know why we believe these things, why it's true, and uh, the logic and the stuff behind it becomes so real to people, that's a faith that's unshakable. And so um, that's that should be our goal. And we need to we need to do a better job uh, as a whole. Um, understanding that's how the process of faith, if we understand how people come to true firsthand faith, then we can, then we can work within that, that framework to help people get from point A to point B, rather than just dropping them in at point C and saying, well, here you go, let's get you baptized. And so uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of groundwork that needs to be done um, when we're sharing about God. Um, and I think if we tell them why, it helps so much. Yeah.
2: One of the things that I like to practice with the youth group here is for every what that I'm trying to get across to them, I try to give them a couple reasons why. Not just one reason, but always trying to build up on top of it for them. sometimes I allow them to struggle to think it through themselves because, like Brian said, I don't just want to give them all the pieces themselves. I want them to actually think it through because it does become um, more personal firsthand faith Mm -hmm. um, when they do that. So I think it's very important.
0: Completely agreed.
3: So you've already touched on it. Mentioned, you've mentioned general revelation. Um, another way uh, you could put it is uh, natural theology, um, a, a how we can know God through his creation. And so from that, we find these arguments about God, um, which come from that, and they are I, the question that you've already answered is Are they valid for the Christian to use since it doesn't appeal directly to the Bible? And you have already addressed that, and you've addressed that as Christians, um, you know, apologetics is something that we all need to study. It's not just something for uh, some people to know, it's not just for the Bible <laughs> scholars. It's not just for the Bible scholars. <laughs> So that leads us into the next part of this is as let, let's actually begin to talk about some of these evidences for the existence of God from general revelation. Um, so I'll just, you know, throw it out there and you can answer how you want. But um, the question that I have is what are some of the classical arguments for the
1: existence of God? Uh, this is... Uh, th- this is uh, I'm, I love this stuff. Uh, here's why. <laughs> here's why. Because not everyone you, you're going to encounter is going to have an, an understanding of who God is, or that that God exists, or that um that there is such a thing as the Bible, and that we ought to respect it. There, you know, uh, you guys are fairly young, but I can remember a time when the practice was go knock doors with your Bible and say, Hey, can we talk to you? And people in general had a regard for God's word. And you could use that as a starting point. Our society has so drastically shifted. Now we need to be equipped with, uh, with some more foundational stuff because uh, uh, people have, um, uh, very, very different worldviews now, and they're they're all over the place. And so I kind of think of it like a continuum where you might have someone over here who's on the complete atheistic side of things where they, they say there is no God, there absolutely isn't. And then maybe the agnostic or someone that says, well, there is a higher power, but we can't know who it is. You know, maybe there's a creator, but we, we just can't know. Or maybe you'll have someone who's a little further along says, yeah, I recognize that God exists, but which God, you know, that kind of stuff. Or you might have someone who's in the denominational world who uh, who believes in God, but maybe they have some doctrinal issues. So you have this continuum. And so uh, this is something Eric and I and this is something that that, uh, we try to teach and that is this concept of using tactics Uh, to ask questions, to understand where people are at. And so what we do then is to gather information, find out what people believe and help them to establish their belief system so we can know where to jump in. And the the place that's most beautifully illustrated in Scripture is in Acts. I always forget 16 or 17. It's where Paul, and so I'm just going to throw open here just to make sure I'm telling the right chapter. Yeah, 17. 17, yeah. So 17, it begins with Paul at Thessalonica. And so what he's doing there is entering the synagogue. So those people have a certain worldview. They have regard for for the scriptures. They know who God is. And so he works from that starting point and then begins to reason with them daily in the synagogues from the scriptures. So then after Thessalonica, it tells us he goes to Berea and there it's very much a give and take. These people know the scriptures and he's reasoning with them, and they're double-checking him to make sure what he's saying is true. So you have these two different paradigms, but then it completely changes. When we hear Paul at Athens, and he goes to Mars Hill, and so he observes that culture, that worldview, and completely changes his approach. And so now he's arguing from their worldview in order to uh, establish a beachhead of conversation. Now, he always gets eventually to the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where we always have to go. That's where that's our goal is to get there. But sometimes we gotta lay a little groundwork. And so we lay that groundwork. Uh, I believe now that we need to be equipped with, with what we're calling the classical arguments for God's existence. And so what this does is helps us to get to in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It gets us to the point saying, well, yeah, that's true. That there is a God who created, and so the three that I use the most and that I teach the most are the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, and the moral argument. And so those those three, I think, in our day and age, are very powerful because they all begin with uh, self-evident truths—things you can't that are easy to understand. And so the concept here and what I try to help people with is I I, want to equip you with some concepts that you could sit down across from someone in a coffee shop at the kitchen table and just jot down some stuff on a napkin and it makes sense. So with the cosmological argument, it begins with the basic idea of cause and effect. Everybody can understand that. It's the concept of cause and effect. So we would we would begin with a statement like everything that begins to exist has a cause. So, you know, we could talk about, you know, flowers in a garden or, you know, in the flower bed, those things began to exist. Well, they had a cause. How did they get there? Well, someone planted them. And so there's this idea that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Um, you as a person began to exist because of a cause, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So um Then the next statement that works from that is the universe began to exist. And so the concluding thought then is then the universe has a cause. And so the idea is that we're getting is that there's no such thing as a, um, that things just spontaneously leap into existence without any cause. It's never been observed. It doesn't happen. It's not logical. And so then we can argue very simply that there is a cause. Now, um, so the first phrase there, everything that begins to exist has a cause, that's self-evident. I mean, that's not too hard. Um, The second line is where we need to be equipped with some information. The universe began to exist. And simply, you can just, and this is where our phones can be a great aid to us. First and second law of thermodynamics Basically, this uh, is that there's only so much gas in the gas tank in the universe. And once that energy, that gas tank runs out, it's we're done. So it can't the universe cannot be eternal. There's there was a starting point of usable energy. And once that energy is gone, then that's it. So it cannot be eternal. So it had a beginning. And so that's just that's some very simple ideas. Uh, that you could communicate. And so now we get to the idea that the universe had a cause. Then we tie this to then the teleological argument, which is based on the idea of design. And so that every design has a designer. Every painting has a painter. Every building has a builder. And so self-evident. So that's a self-evident truth. Then the second line of that argument with the teleological is um, that, uh, help me, Eric, I'm blanking here. Every design has a, the universe has a design or it shows yeah, evidence of how high, high, it's highly designed. And this yeah. is where it gets really fun because you can really start looking into that. Our universe is just incredibly designed and the information that we have now on this. Just look at the human cell. And the human cell and the evidence within it, every cell in and of itself is an automated city. It has a power plant, it has transportation systems, information systems, it has waste systems. Every single cell has this. And uh, and so uh, that's you can look that way or we can look into the skies in the, the order, in the constancy, in the design of the universe. And what we call. Thing. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? The, the Goldilocks zone where we
2: like live and yeah. everything that's needed.
1: Yeah. yeah. Those anthropic constants. There's no chance that these things happen by accident. They were highly designed for life to exist here on earth. Uh, there's all these different constants. And if you apply one to the next, um, and so you could discuss those things. So, um, so the, the universe and we uh, even just pick up a blade of grass or a flower, this uh, highly designed, and so then the conclusion then is that the universe has a designer. So we have the universe having um, a cause, and then a universe having a designer, and so then we can ask the questions. Well, what for someone for this universe to have a cause or a designer? This designer must be incredibly powerful, incredibly knowledgeable. They must be personal beings. They had to choose to create, to design this universe, to put us here. Um, All these different things start to show up as a reason. So we can get to someone who sounds a lot like the God of the Bible. In the beginning, God created all these attributes become evident. And so, uh, and that's not even getting into the moral argument, which I know the moral argument is Eric's favorite. You want to talk about that one, Eric? So the moral law,
2: uh, argument pretty much along the same lines if there is laws there must be a law giver. is a simple way of putting it and because there are moral laws there is objective truth um there is one who has to be the creator of that the creator of those laws and I I think that if you put those three arguments together you get a clear picture of the God of the Bible That the God of like Islam with Allah, Allah doesn't really fit fit very well with the moral argument because even along that, Allah is allowed to do things that we know are immoral, that are is not um
1: like true. Deceiving and lying. Yeah,
2: deceiving and lying for one. And truth is dependent on God's existence. So when Mm -hmm. it comes to these three arguments, these three arguments fit so well together to build the case for Christianity with someone who doesn't believe God exists to begin with. And you get those from, I think Brian made it very clear, it has to be self-evident truths to, that you have to start off with. When it comes to general revelation, uh, they're so important and you don't need the Bible, the Word of God, because they're so evident to everybody um, to say that uh, they don't exist is a self-defeating statement one way or the other. So,
3: yeah. And the great thing about this is in a way you can make it a little personal and you have to be personal when you're talking to people Um, For example, Brian presented a couple of the evidences of design that he really likes um, that are very effective in talking to people. And I think Eric actually touched on it uh, just for a second. But one of my favorites from from the the science field of astronomy is the fact that the Earth is in this safe zone Mm -hmm. that through the study of astronomy, we've seen. It is rare and possibly even non-existent anywhere else in the universe the way that the earth uh, is in our atmosphere Uh, and there's you know a list of reasons for that but that's something you know as you look at these evidences you can find the one that really makes it like very obvious to you and then that helps you as you begin to present the gospel to people um, and present
0: these evidences to people. And I think that's really important too, because we, if when we begin studying apologetics and all of the different reasons we have, you know, to believe in the evidence of God and that he does exist, you really can, I think, kind of get bogged down and well, there's so much to know and there's so much information out here. But, you know, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we always need to be prepared to give reasons for what we believe. And so this isn't something that we just need to leave to the scholars and to uh, Bible college professors um, and preachers. This is you know, basic apologetics, <laughs> basic reasonings for what you believe is something that we all need to be equipped with. And so as you guys are listening to this and, and hopefully doing some more study on your own, I really want to encourage you. Find find a couple of these different reasons that we can have to believe in God that, that mean the most to you, that really are just convincing for you, and be able to share these with people because it can really make a difference. You can really put stones in somebody's shoe. You might not convince them to believe in God in the first conversation, but you might tell them something that puts a stone in their shoe, and they can't go around their life in the in the coming weeks and months without thinking about that and wrestling with it. Yeah, absolutely. So those
3: you all have presented the three, I would say, major classical arguments. Um, are there some other arguments that are valid for the existence of God beyond the three that you've presented? I have one in mind, and we can talk about this one a little bit, but um, there's... This argument from the existence of, like, an emptiness and a divine longing um, that people bring up. Um, Jacob, let's see. How was that? It was last football season. We were at the the Bengals-Bills game where DeMar Hamlin. You were there? Um, yeah, we were yeah. there at that what? game. What? And – you know, for anybody that's not a sports fan listening to this, um, a football player named Demar Hanlon literally died on the field. He his
0: heart stopped on the field twice. Twice. And I think they did CPR for what, like nine or ten minutes, trying to bring him back, which is a long, t- too long for him to really be able to come back. Most of the time, from what I understand about the medical side of things, yeah, it, it was a long, it was a long time, and
3: the. The repercussion or the aftermath of this happening was there was this widespread, even even on um, TV, on sp- like SportsCenter, there was this widespread um, movement of prayer. Um, and Jacob said it best, and I don't have the exact quote. Do you remember your exact quote about
0: this situation regarding the longing for God? I don't remember what exactly I said to you when I said it, but basically the point I was getting at with this is when an absolutely tragic circumstance happens and all people understand there is nothing in our power that we can do to solve this issue. The immediate response to people who even, you know, they're not Christians was to cry out in prayer to something more powerful some being that is more powerful than us and that has control over over the world, and that really stuck out to me. You know, I, I could turn on ESPN on my TV, and and live on air, they're praying for for Demar Hamlin, yeah. because as far as the medical side of things go, he, he should not have been able to come back from that. You know, I'm not a medical expert from, but from what I understand, when I heard other people talk about it. It really was um, something that kind of defied what the doctors would have been able to expect with how long they had to do the CPR. And the fact that people who wouldn't even consider themselves Christians, their immediate response to this tragedy was to cry out in prayer and to reach out to a higher power. It it, kind of made me think, you know, it seems like we all have something in us that understands there is some at least something out there that that is more powerful than we are.
3: And and that would be more of maybe an opener for some people, where you you open with that, but then you have that that leaves reason a little bit, and so then you need to go to the reason, the three arguments you all presented, because then you can you can build um, that logical train of thought that lead people to to the nature of God, the God of the Bible, and who He actually is. Um, so I would say that this one, the, the way that this is different from the three that you all presented is, is it, it leaves the, the, the reasoning thought and it hits at the emotions of people and, and where their, their hearts and minds can go. But you cannot leave it there because, you know, leaving it there, you can go anywhere with, with emotions uh, we have to go to truth, fact, um, and and lead people to see the God of the Bible, the, the one true God. Yeah, I
1: think
2: I think that's a really
1: interesting
2: oh, I think that's a really interesting point, and we see that not just at like football games when something tragic happens, but you can make that case throughout history. You can make that case with so many different religions that we are designed, we are created to be beings that worship something that is greater than ourselves. There's a real need for that within us. And we see that all throughout with all these different. And we normally assume that this being that we wanna um, pray to in times of need is good. We typically assume that this being is gonna listen to those prayers and that we're not wasting our time when we pray. We typically assume that this being that we're trying to reach out to cares for us in those times of need and will actually care about what we have to say or how we approach them. And there's got to be a reason for that. And the reason I believe is that we are created as beings that worship and we understand at our lowest level that there is something greater than us that we can reach out to. And we I think we see that throughout history with all these different religions.
1: Ecclesiastes a, 3.11 says that God has also set eternity in the hearts of men. And it's the concept, mm-hmm. and Eric point, pointed this out, um, we've been talking a lot about truth lately in our Christian Evidences 2 class. And so, the truth of the matter, what is really real is this that we are created in the image of God. And we're created uh, with a dual nature, physical and spiritual. We are, um, that's our nature. That's, a, that's who we are as those created beings. So, God has designed us in such a way but he's also given us the capacity of free will to choose uh, who and what and when we would worship. And so um, there is something hardwired within us that uh, points us to uh, a higher being, points us to God. And Romans chapter one tells us that, um, that the uh, that the that humans suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and so it's it's yeah. we know these things to be true, but we suppress it, and so um, we push these things down, and so what happens when tragedy ensues? Maybe people awaken a little bit to what's really real, and that we are that there is uh, that that higher. Power that there is God who um, loves us and cares for us and can intervene. It's like they're awoken just for a little bit. And I, when you guys use that example, I mean, I know what you're talking about. I saw the clips. It was Dan Orlovsky on ESPN. I mean, he prayed in Jesus' name right there and he still kept his job, which is amazing um, for what ESPN is these days. Another show that was out there is called. Uh, First things first with uh, two fellows on there, Nick Broussard and Nick Wright. Broussard is a Christian and Nick Wright is not. And I remember him saying in moments like these, I wish I had something to turn to like you do speaking to Broussard. And And it's because he had that longing because he needed something more than himself in that moment. So there's, there's something to this. But ultimately, I think it comes back to the fact that we are God's creatures. We are created in his image and we are we have the capacity. um, I think we we intuitively know that we are creatures, but we suppress those truths and worship the the creature rather than the creator. Romans one is the preeminent passage for our society and our world right now. Um, okay. And if you want a snapshot of, of what we're dealing with, it's, I mean, I talk about that chapter all the time because I think it's, you know, we suppress the truth. We exchange the truth for a lie, um, claiming to vote uh, to be wise. They became fools, all that stuff. So uh, yeah, this is uh, I think it, this, what, um, what that dynamic showed me is we need to be prepared uh, when these things happen, because people are typically more open to the spiritual side of things when tragedy hits. And that was it true definitely at, presents uh, How, old, how yeah. old were you in nine eleven?
0: You asking us or Eric? Uh, and, because we were both. We were. You one. guys were one. I was in, I first, was in first grade. Okay.
1: okay. Well, that was that was that was a time after that, that there was a people that were awoken a lot uh, to the spiritual reality of things. And that we had, we had great opportunity. Now we don't ever pray for, ask for, or for, you know, that we want tragedy to ensue in our lives. But those, I think what you guys are look pointing to here is that, that, um, we need to be prepared uh, with these truths, with these apologetic arguments when and if these opportunities present themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, as we're talking about being prepared to mm-hmm. make the most of our opportunities, uh, when circumstances arise that maybe open people's minds a little bit more to to hearing us about our beliefs in God and in the Bible and everything like that. I think, Eric, you might have mentioned earlier that the moral argument, was one of your favorites um, when we were talking about the classical argument. Something else I wanted to ask you guys. When you're talking with people that may be skeptical um, about belief in God or maybe even they would come out and say they're an atheist, do you guys have kind of a go-to um, piece of evidence or line of reasoning that you like to share with people? So,
2: what's which- What it seems like you're kind of asking is, is there a cookie cutter like way or format when you're talking to someone or a way that you like to go? I try not to. I try to keep it personal to that person on an individual level. Like I was talking to my brother-in-law a couple weeks ago and I got him to the point where he understands that God exists. He understands that Jesus exists. He understands that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He understands that he is sinned. But as Brian talked about, there's this thing about our will um, that we have to make that decision ourselves. And he did not have the will to follow Jesus in that moment. But I think it's everyone's different. So you have to approach each thing differently. So I look at these um, apologetic arguments as like tools in the belt. To use when needed for specific situations, and be prepared. You talked about First Peter three fifteen. First Peter three fifteen tells you to always be prepared, but it also tells you how to how to handle each situation. Do it with gentleness and respect, and in doing right. so, you will glorify God. So, I think that it's important, and I try not to, for the most part, have a, an outline for every individual and um, try to relate it to that person because we all are at different points
0: and need different things
2: highlighted. But that's my take on
0: it. I'm glad you put it that way. I really like the illustration you use with having all of these different pieces of evidence or like different tools in your belt. Yeah. Or I think I said also like different arrows in the quiver. And it's not that we have a, a memorized, you know, sermon that we're going to give people and we want to share our, the reasons for our hope with them. But we have these different tools in our toolbox that we can kind of assess where a person's at and then be equipped with, with the knowledge to, to help them come to a place where they can be more open to the idea of belief in God or, or hopefully even get there.
3: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So
3: as a person is presenting some of these, arguments for the existence of God. There's going to be pushback. Obviously, there's going to be times where people want to present lies about the existence of God. Um, What are some of the biggest lies about there not being a God that you all have encountered? And I guess, along with that, what would your approach be
1: to, to answering that lie? There's a few common brushbacks that come pretty quickly. Well, if all this evil in the world, uh, how could there possibly be a God? You know, um, you know, with all the suffering and evil that's around them, if God's so powerful, why doesn't he stop it? And if he's so loving, why would he permit it? And so that's, that's a pretty common one that uh, comes up pretty regularly um that's a very common one actually another one what's another uh, common objection uh would have to do with the nature of the Bible itself because I mean I do want to make this clear that's that's always our ultimate goal is to get them to trust in the word of God uh, and then we're yeah. spending we're spending basically the whole semester of Christian evidences too, dealing with objections to the word of God, or just the fact that tr- that truth exists. Uh, that's another one is how can we really know what makes, what's make, what, what makes Christianity better than any, uh, you know, right. Uh, there's this idea of pluralism is that there's all, even if you do recognize the spiritual, well, that why is Christianity any better than anybody else? You're, you're narrow, bigoted, um, uh, exclusive, um That's the kind of stuff that, especially in our culture, is coming up now in the very multicultural, all roads lead to heaven perspective. If there is such a thing as is heaven, that they would recognize it, uh, you know, that all spirituality is valid. So there's those things, those things come up quite a bit. And so in those moments, like uh, we appeal to some logic. Um. They all can't be right. They, you know, the is it the law of uh, non-contradiction? Or yes, know, yeah. where we would point to the fact that, you know, one can be right, one can be wrong. We could both be wrong, but we both can't be right on this on a given point. So if Christianity yeah. claims to be the only religion, and it does uh, in multiple ways, Jesus very boldly states Uh, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, That can only be true or false. Um, There's no uh, in-between. And if it's true, that means that it logically rules out everything else. And so in this pluralistic, uh, tolerant society, you're going to have to be equipped to deal with that. Going back to the first one about, and this is, this is uh, stuff that I've uh, I've had people approach me recently and say, you know, I've been dealing with this. I've been dealing with this uh, talking about these things with my coworkers and stuff, and you know, God commands genocide, and He's basically a moral monster, or um, slavery, that, that kind of stuff, or how could God permit all this suffering and evil? And so we have to be equipped to talk about that, and um, so eric if you if i throw the grenade in your lap how would you deal with the concept of evil or in suffering because that's a that's a very common objection
2: yeah i think that's one of the most common ones is when someone has dealt with personal pain in one way or another and depending on that pain oftentimes we experience pain because someone has wronged us. And I think that it's important that in those moments, that if that person has felt wronged and it's a justified reason, to say that they were abused. To understand and relate with them that they they did go through some sort of suffering. But speak truth in that there is a reason that was wrong. And uh, I think that's very easy to get to speaking to the Bible. I think it's easy to make a defense for God being good and not wanting it to happen, but allowing it to happen because we have free will and only creatures that have free will have the capacity to love. And God loves us and God wants to have a relationship with us in a way where it's possible for God, us to love God back and for us to choose God so evil is allowed so that love can exist so love can thrive Um, I think one of the more common objections right now isn't so much the personal pain you get that with the people who have thought about this and have tried to pick a side and said, well, I can't justify pain in life. I think it's even more scary the people who just don't care right now. And you make an argument for uh, God and they're like, okay. And they don't care. I know that um, if you, I know Jacob, you're familiar with Discipleship Week with Three Strands Ministry with Derek Baker, Kirk Kacker. I believe that this year they're going to be talking about this whole concept of the person who just doesn't care for one of the classes and how to communicate with a person who doesn't care. I think that's one of the hardest ones to deal with, one of the biggest objections, and it's not so much an objection, it's just, it's not relevant to them right now for some reason.
3: So. Do you know uh when discipleship week is cuz that's something open to anybody that wants to, you know, sign up and go?
2: Yeah, it is June 10th through the 14th.
3: Okay. Um and then Three Strands Ministries mm-hmm. has their own website.
0: I'm pretty sure you can Google yeah. it. Um, I can put it in the uh the description to this podcast uh-huh. episode if you want to look in the, into that more. I'll link their website down in the description of this episode. Yeah. That'll be good. Um, Anything else on that,
1: uh, on that question before we uh, move on? We could settle in and talk a lot about, I mean, all those different objections. I mean, there's, that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of uh, where we got to be prepared uh, to direct conversations Um, And be able to, a lot of times, you know, this kind of comes back to the, I already mentioned the the concept of tactics. A lot of times people will uh, bring about uh, objections, but they are just spouting the party lines or the hashtags or the headlines. They don't, they've not really thought things through. And so that's that's where the, you know, directing those conversations and getting people to ground and justify their beliefs. And you can really get people to think, you know, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? And then once you start to get them to really think about those things, it really opens doors for us to uh, to bring in the truth in those circumstances. So a lot of times objections um. Are um. I don't. I don't know the exact word to use. Are not not completely thought through. They're just the uh, mm. standard uh, throwbacks,
0: comebacks, what they've been taught to to say in response to something. Yeah, they, about they've that. not really what
1: justified. Happened? So we need to be able to direct those conversations and 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 make them. Uh, flesh out their, what they're saying in, um, uh, in doing that, you can really uh, give yourself an opportunity to bring the truth before you even start uh, bringing in those arguments. So um, I'm a big believer in uh, using those things, uh, questions to direct the conversation. And that's, that's an important thing. So that's the, the book tactics by Greg Kokel. I uh, recommend that. That gives us some good tools about how to use these arguments in direct conversations.
3: Yeah, I, I've seen. I don't really support these videos because I think it's uh, pretty disrespectful when they go up on the internet. But um, you see videos of people like wanting to share the gospel or well, attempting to share the gospel with somebody and they're like recording it. And, um, a person will argue and say, um, well, the Bible, how can you trust the Bible? It has a bunch of contradictions. And then the person will ask, well, what contradictions are there? And the person can't give any, um, actual contradictions because they haven't studied it for themselves. That's just an argument that they have in the back of their mind that they can try and give to shove off the, Thing. Like I said, I don't, I, I don't love the videos because then it makes the person that can't give the argument. It, it's a little disrespectful to sure. them, but I don't think you're gonna win a soul that. That's way. a subject but, for another uh, podcast.
1: Uh, the value of social media and all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: but it does present that that uh, example or an example of what you were talking about. Um. So I, I guess. To, I mean, I know that there's things that we could talk for hours on every one of these questions, but to, to wrap up the, all these questions, what does the existence of God tell us about the origins of the universe? And that's a really big question uh, that you could write. I, I am doing a four part sermon series on it right now, <laughs> so I I understand. But some some key things um, from from that from the existence of God what what does that point to? Tell us
1: the um, so what are the ramifications of of a universe that is created by God? I mean, there's uh, it's everything. Uh, one of the things yeah. that Perfect. I try to communicate and uh, try to help people recognize is this. Before we ever relate to God in, as our savior, we relate to him as creator. And so yep. Yep. Um, the concept of creator creature, based on the fact that God is the um, the creator of the universe. I mean, that's, that's so important that we relate to him in that fashion. Um, And so um, the fact that we live in a God created universe gives us the possibility. And this is what, this is what we've been dealing with. And this has really been really imprinted upon my mind and heart is that God exists. Therefore truth exists. And God has communicated these truths with us. He's revealed himself to us. Natural theology, uh, you know, we talk about general revelations, special revelation that God has created, but he has revealed himself to us. He's chosen to communicate with us so we can answer or we have the answers to all the questions. Where do we come from? How do we get here? What happens when we die? What is our meaning and purpose in life? Uh, all these questions that that are the questions of our very uh, existence, all these huge things that yeah, every culture and people have wanted to know the answer to these things. The only way that you can get to the truth on that is if you recognize that God is the creator and that he exists. If you eliminate God from the picture, you can structure you can, you can build a whole nother reality that's not really true, but you can try to answer these things, answer those questions without God in the picture, and you end up in a place of confusion, delusion, hopelessness, despair, anger, and hate, and fear. All those things are the result of not recognizing that we live in a God-created universe. Since we do live in a God-created universe, and he has revealed himself to us, then truth is available to us and we can know that we are who we are where we came from where we're going and what and what we're what we need to be doing in the meantime.
2: Yeah to um to go on that point recognizing God's existence through these arguments is the only way to have a coherent worldview that matches with reality. Yep. If you try to trade uh, the truth for a lie no matter how hard you try, your worldview is never gonna fall into coherence. It's never gonna match with reality as it is. And that is because you need God in order to make sense of anything. Without God, there is everything is nonsense. Beautiful everything.
1: Yeah. Proverbs one seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot have knowledge. You cannot have wisdom unless you recognize that God is.
0: Yeah, that's that's some really good stuff. Um, so as we begin to kind of to wrap up here, I, I have one more question I'd like to ask. I don't know if you have a couple more or not, Tanner, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, what, in, what advice would you give or what kind of encouragement would you give to a Christian person that would come to you and say, you know, I want to believe in God, but I'm really just I'm having some doubts about his existence. How, how can we, you know, as people, you know, all four of us are either currently church leaders or that's what we want to be as, as evangelists. So how can we encourage people that are struggling with this, with doubts about God's existence?
2: OK, I would like to start off with doubts are good as long as you look into the answer. Because if you are going to be true and look in and look for the solid answer, like we hate to be wrong about things. I want to try to figure out what is the truth ultimately. I think truth is super important. And I'd say as people, typically, we want to be right. So if you have doubts, we, whatever those doubts are, may be, look into them look on uh, if you are a Christian that has doubts, seek guidance with someone who you trust who is a mentor who has probably experienced the same doubts and talk with it with them. get uh, and dig into it. I try not to tell I try to tell the kids don't be scared of any of the questions. Just look mm-hmm. for the answers and how they match reality. And once you understand that scripture is the inspired word of God and that it does have authority, it, that it does carry ultimate weight, scripture is your best friend. Because you can look to scripture and you can look at those truths, but you have, if you're having doubts about scripture, that's where you have to figure out why is scripture, why should scripture have authority over our life? How is it the revealed knowledge of God? from his mind to ours so that we can understand it. So depending on the topics, uh, depending on where the doubts are or why the doubts are, um, I think that if you partner up with strong Christians who have studied certain things, you'll make a world of difference. And that would be my advice to them, to look for solid answers.
0: Yeah, that, that's really good. Um, you know, I completely agree. And just speaking from my own personal experience, when you have some of those doubts about things and then you take the time to really search for the answers and talk with people that can help you, that's when your faith is going to really grow and strengthen and your, your trust and, you know, how rooted you feel that I really do believe this and there are good reasons for it. You're, that really can be a, a pivotal moment for you you growing in your faith is when you wrestle through some of these doubts. So we want to encourage you. It's not a bad thing to doubt. What what maybe would become bad is if you doubt and then you never search for the answers. And uh, I just want to add to that.
3: I've been listening to, to Jason Cole preach a little bit, and he kind of touched on this in a recent sermon, but we spend so much time trying to learn or perfect other things in our life um as as a teen you know i i was in marching band and i played my trombone every day and i wanted to be the best um you know and you know there was a time where i wanted to be the best video game player Uh, in my friend group and this guy always beat me, (laughs) uh, but you know, we, we take, we spend so much time trying to perfect things in, in, as an adult, we try to perfect, um, how we do our, our job day to day. Um, but then when it comes to the faith, when it comes to living a Christian life, We think spending an hour in the pew on Sunday or reading our Bible for 10 minutes a day is and praying, you know, at dinner time is going to cut it. But the most important thing in our life should be and is our faith in Jesus. And we have to take the time to invest in that. We have to take the time to strive for perfection and we're not going to get there but it is a it, that is the lifelong goal of a christian is to strive to be perfect like christ and in christ and um so when the doubts arise when we when doubts arise and we don't take that time to invest in study invest in growth then we really aren't investing in, in the things that we should be. We, and we are allowing the doubts to, to fester and to actually corrupt um, the faith that we have. So, um, does anybody have anything else they want to add to all this?
0: Well, uh, the was that kind of the last thing you wanted to discuss? Yeah. Well, we just wanted to thank you guys so much again. You know, Brian and Eric for coming on here and and doing this with us. Um, it really means a lot to me and Tanner. That I mean, I, I know you guys are both very busy with with your ministries and with families and everything else you guys have going on. So uh, to take a chunk of your time today to to spend with us on the podcast really does mean a lot. So we want to thank you guys again for for doing this. Um, I, I know I'm I'm really happy with how it went. So I'll, I'll be excited to to get this out for people to see. Um, I guess just one quick last thing before we close off, um, do you guys, if, if, you know, maybe someone's listening to this and they they want to do some more research, some more studying in this apologetics, uh, whole realm, are there any, any specific books or resources that you guys would, would recommend for them to spend some more time with if they want to go more in depth here?
2: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a, bu- there's a bunch of different um, books that would be helpful. One one simple one that's just in reach of me right now is Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, yeah. And this is the newer one with Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. Uh, that's a really solid resource to have. And depending on what area of apologetics you really want to study, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is yeah, a, good a really good one to have. I really... I really do like that one
1: uh, case for Christ case for creator least troubles. Yeah. Those are, those yeah. are good. Um, now, of course we're not endorsing everything in all these books, but their stuff on apologetics is really, really good. Uh, so the ones that Eric said are fantastic. Um, really good resources. Another one would be cold case. Christianity uh, by J. Warner Wallace it takes a really good approach. He comes at it from an investigative police officer um, and investigating the evidence. So a forensic path, which is excellent. Uh, And struggle comes at it from an investigative reporter. Uh, Again, kind of uh, doing uh, that kind of due diligence in relationship to the the evidence. Another good one uh, that I would want to bring up is called Reasons for Our Hope by Jack Cottrell is an excellent mm-hmm. book um, on the subject and he uh, has some good stuff, but those are all, those are really good starting places. Well, thank you for that.
3: Um, I have some of those, but some of them I don't, I need to get my hands on some of them.
1: Um, can't have t- enough. You can't have too many books.
3: Tactics
1: is oh. a
2: really good one. Um, What's that? That's more tactics, but that's oh, yeah. on the practical how to. Yeah. not so much on the informational side of things mm-hmm. of why we believe certain things right. or so why we should think about certain things.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, I'll just say again, thank you. Hopefully, uh, we can recon- reconvene sometime next week for, uh, our discussion on the proofs of the resurrection. Um, and, uh, we'll discuss when we're going to do that at a later date, but, um, I guess I'll ask one more time. Does anybody have anything else? All yeah, right, that's all for me. Thank you all for watching or listening. Um, this has been uh, our first apologetics podcast on the existence of God, um, and we hope and pray that each of you, as well as the four of us, will use this as we strive to go bear fruit and so prove to be one of Jesus's disciples.